I think I mentioned last week that beginning this week, we would be moving through the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. You may remember that for the last several weeks, we've been in the midst of the Gospel of Mark. And the way that things get laid out in the lectionary for the church is we have a three-year cycle. So in year A, we go through the Gospel of Matthew. In year B, we go through the Gospel of Mark. And in year C, we go through the Gospel of Luke. Now, you may notice there we have three-year cycles, but we have four Gospels. Well, the Gospel of John makes a lot of appearances, especially in the special liturgical seasons, some in Advent, some in Christmas, in Lent, and in particular in Easter, specifically uh, after Easter and uh, going into the Pentecost time. But also, because Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels, it's only 16 chapters, it's almost as though the church gives us this special time, kind of pads the time of Mark a little bit more, and gives us five weeks of the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, and this chapter is called the Bread of Life Discourse. Now, I got to tell you, I've been kind of wrestling with this for the last like two or three weeks. Like, how am I going to go through this for the next five weeks. Our good seminarian, Luke, can tell you about that because I've been just, you know, looking at all these different ways. What am I going to do? I mean, can we do like a five-week theme based on this, that, or the other thing and trying to figure it out because here's the danger because I think this is my third time as a priest getting to go through this. And the fear is, is that the first week I'm going to be like, hey, here's everything I know about the Eucharist. And the next week I'll say, hey, remember what I said last week? And then we got three weeks left. So there's kind of like this worry of how do we do this? How do we break this down? And I got to tell you, you know, God is so good. And looking at the introduction today to the Bread of Life discourse, you know, we know this so well, the feeding of the 5,000, right? To look at the lines that come from the lips of the apostles, it's so helpful in so many ways. Because, like I said, I get anxious. How can I talk about this for five weeks? I mean, it's the very center of my existence, and yet. It's like, hey, explain to me why you love your mom. Okay, and do it for five consecutive weeks, right? I mean, yes, I love her, but I can't just get up here and say, she's a good cook, because that's not enough, right? I mean, I love her for deeper reasons than that. You know, like all these different things, like it goes deeper and deeper. But to look at this, Jesus looking at the 5,000, seeing them knowing what he's going to do, saying to Philip, where are we gonna get food to feed these 5,000? And one of the beautiful things about the church is those 12 apostles, you know, the foundation upon which Jesus built his church, are willing to record for us where they don't get it, where they fall all over themselves, where they don't understand what's going on, where they worry about a lacking, right? This is the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. Already, we had in the second chapter, the wedding feast at Cana, where you may remember when when Mary told Jesus they have no wine. So what does Jesus do after Mary tells the servants, do whatever he tells you, which by the way is about the best advice we can ever be given, just go to our blessed mother all the time. She gives us great advice. But what does he do? He doesn't say, I'll run to the store and pick up a bottle of Bob Mandabi. No, he makes 180 gallons of the greatest wine that anyone's ever had, more than they could drink, like overflowing with this amount, right? Then you get into the fifth chapter, and he heals the paralytic by the pool of Bethesda, a man who cannot walk, and Jesus tells him, pick up your your mat and go home. So they've seen 
this you know, incredible generosity, this miracle of the wine at the wedding feast of Cana. They've seen him perform this miracle, and now there's 5,000 here. They don't say, hey, remember a little while ago when you like totally took care of the situation? Could you do it again? No, they say, what is this for so many, right? Here's Andrew, we got a little bit, but how in the world can that help? And I don't know if you're like me, but I say the same thing to God all of the time. It's this perpetual cycle, right? He helps us so many times in our lives. It's like, ah, problem X, what can I ever do? But once we take it to him, all I've got is this. He makes it work. He stretches things out. God is with us. And yet, by the time we get to problem Y, ah, what am I going to do? I have only this. It's okay. It works out once again. Our Lord takes what we offer him and makes it work, makes it keep going. And this is the beautiful thing too. As we get into the bread of life discourse, we see that Jesus Christ takes us so far beyond even what we're asking for, gives us so much more than we even think to request from him in the first place. I mean, look at the fulfillment that we're given in the gospel today. If you go back to 2 Kings from the first reading, it's an incredible reading, and not just because we got to hear the name of the place, Baal Shalishah, which is just fun to say. So I'm really excited we got that. But the gentleman brings 20 barley loaves to Elisha the prophet, who is there with the sons of the prophets, a hundred of them, and one of them objects. How can a hundred guys be fed off of 20 loaves? There's no way. And of course, Elisha tells him, the Lord said, they shall eat and there shall be some left over. 20 loaves, a hundred guys, right? And they get some and there's some left over. Great. What does Jesus do? Five loaves, a quarter of the amount that Elisha was given for not a hundred, but 5,000, which as you may notice is a little bit more, right? And not only is there some left over, but 12 wicker baskets full. And there's so many different things about the 12 wicker baskets. You think about four times three, four, all the different directions, three, the different types of time, past, present, future, multiply them together. It's the fullness of everything. He provides for all of it. And also 12, what do we have? 12 apostles. You think about the fact that throughout the ages, God, working through the apostles, working through the church that he has given us, continues to meet the needs of his people. And as I said, so much more than we even think to ask for in the first place. As you may know, we are so much more than mere mouths to feed, right? If all we needed was just the next meal, we could just go take up camp outside the Golden Corral and we would be fine, right? Like you just keep filling your belly, but we need more than that. We need a lot more than just the next meal, and that's what he's giving to them. One of the things I was thinking about kind of working through the next five weeks is there are many different quiet prayers of the priest and the deacon at the Mass. And the very first one is what our good deacon gets to say every day at Mass. When the servers come over, they have the water and the wine. He pours a good amount of wine into the chalice and then just a drop of water. And he says, by the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity. That is a prayer that he says every single day, that we may share in his divinity. 
Do you understand like how big that is? Saint Athanasius once said, God became man so that man might become God. It's a huge thing, and that's not some heretical thing. St. Athanasius is huge. He stood up against the great chasm that Arius kind of posed to the church and basically said like Gandalf, you shall not pass. I mean, he was so important. And he said, God became man so that man might become God. Jesus didn't just come to, to take care of our physical needs. And don't get me wrong, they're important. There's a reason why we have the Sister Elizabeth, I'm sorry, the uh, Sister Mary Roberts Ministries, right? We try to help and take care of physical needs of people. It's important, and God will provide those, but it doesn't stop there. Look at what the Second Vatican Council reminds us all over the place, especially in Lumen Gentium. We have the universal call to holiness. Every person in this church is called to be a saint. Jesus Christ became one of us so that we too might be sons and daughters of God. And and to understand that title, that we will share in his divinity, that is what he came to give us. Not just comfort, not just our physical needs being taken care of, as important as that is. He came to give us eternal life with the saints forever. And that's why right now we can't be afraid. There is no reason to be afraid because God himself has entered into all of this with us to give us something beyond our wildest dreams, something better than we can even conceive of. That's why the church can stand up and give unpopular teachings, right? Today is the 53rd anniversary of the promulgation of the document Humani Vitae. St. Paul VI standing up back in 1968 and saying, the church's perennial teaching against artificial contraception, it stands. And the reason for that is that we can trust God. We know that as long as we're working with him, we put what he has given us into his hands, we give thanks, we trust in him, he'll work with us. He loves us. We don't have to be afraid. And as we bring new life into the world, he lifts it up. They're called to be saints too. And the beautiful thing is, as you can see, we've been trying to help out the Crisis Pregnancy Center. It doesn't just end once they're out of the womb. We care about them all the way until natural death. We want to help people all the way to become saints. And you can see at the end of the gospel today, the way that Jesus responds, right? They've had their stomachs filled. It must have been good bread and fish, just like at Cana, the best wine anyone had ever tasted, right? And what do they want to do? They want to carry him off to be king. And where does he go? He withdraws from them and goes up the mountain by himself. He's not just here to make everything comfortable and copacetic. He's not just here to manage a golden corral, right? He is here to make us saints, to lead us up the mountain. He wants so much more for us than just our physical needs, as important as they are, to be satisfied. He is here to lead us into eternal peace. And the beautiful news for us is that those wicker baskets, those 12 wicker baskets, continue to overflow. The successors of the apostles and the priests in unison with them continue to distribute this food, this bread that he has taken and given thanks. And by the way, the Greek word that St. John uses here when Jesus gives thanks is Eucharistane, the Eucharist. 
already, he's showing us this fact that he has come come to give us something so good beyond our wildest dreams. He's coming to give us himself that we might be saints, that we might be with him forever. Just one sort of closing thought I want to share with you. You know, being at that retreat two weeks ago now, they said that we need to keep working on not just growing Eucharistic adoration, but Eucharistic amazement. My brothers and sisters in Christ, he knows us, just like he knew Philip and Andrew. He knows that we come here with our own anxieties. Lord, how am I going to get through this that I have right now? All I've got is this little bit to offer you. Be at peace. Trust just like them. Because just like Philip and Andrew, yes, we make mistakes too. We don't always understand. We don't know what's coming next. But you know what Philip and Andrew did? They stuck around. They were there. They trusted. Even though they tripped several times along the way, even though both of them ran away from Jesus at the time of the Passion, they came back. They were one of the, they're part of the 12 that continues to hand on this goodness to us. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, we receive what they did. Jesus Christ himself, who remains with his people, who calls us into holiness, who leads us up the mountain, who leads us to so much better than we ask him for. God gives to his people, and there's so much more left over. Let's ask for the grace to be like Philip and Andrew, to stay with him, to receive what he has come to give us, and to share that with everyone whom we encounter. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever.